my pleasure to welcome you to the Clark Howard Show, where it's all about you and that wallet of yours. I want you to learn ideas to me so you can keep more of what you make. So there's a big controversy about power companies digging deeper into the pocket of customers, but it's really the wrong issue. I want to bring you to what we should be doing in the United States about how you and I get power. That's today's Clark Rage coming up later. And later yet, when you are looking for potentially a car to rent this summer or to make more money from a car that's sitting in your garage, I got an idea for you that can make money or save money at either side of the equation. I want to talk right now about a fight going all the way to the U.S. Supreme Court. And it involves something that is a penalty that you suffer if you are loyal to iPhones. Apple has done something throughout the history of the iPhone, and it accounts for where Apple makes serious money. If you want to put an app on your iPhone, you can only put an app on there that comes through Apple. Now, the reason this is significant is that apps for iPhones cost much more than the identical app on an Android. And the reason is not what Apple says. Apple says it's for all the expense they have making sure that an app is okay. Absolutely not true. The reason is that Apple has a toll bridge up for any app that goes on an iPhone. And so any app developer who writes an app that is put into the Apple marketplace, Apple charges 30% commission. So a developer who wants to clear $10 for an app has to sell it for $13 and change to get the $10, where selling an app for an Android, they just need the $10. So the Supreme Court is ultimately going to decide next year if it's okay. Now, Apple's defense and the argument they're presenting to the Supreme Court is that you don't have a right to complain because the price fixing is happening before you are actually making the purchase. I'm dumbing down the legal argument, but it's a crazy thing, and it's one of the things that you need to be aware of. A lot of people are hyper-brand loyal to Apple, i.e. my children, and actually two of my three children. One of them is a Samsung person, but the other's or into iPhones. And so you pay more for an iPhone, and then you pay more to keep using an iPhone. And it's just something you need to know. The other issue with having an iPhone is storage and having to pay Apple for storage. Most of that storage, people are paying for photos. And you don't need to do that. Because of Google's photo app, you can have unlimited free storage for life for all your photos in Google's photo app. 
And so even if you go to a new iPhone, you go to a new Android, whatever, your pictures are always there. And it's free storage instead of paying Apple for storage. So at the very least, if you want to save a little bit of money on your iPhone, you don't need to pay for iCloud. Instead, use Google Photos and pay nothing at all. Jessica joins us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Jessica. How you doing? Hi, Clark. How are you? Great. Thank you. Yes. So um, I'm calling in today. I have a question. And I actually uh, did a search on the website of myself the other day. And um, there was a particular website that came up with all of my information, name, age, phone number, current and previous home addresses, as well as relatives and their ages. And I couldn't for the life of me figure out how to remove the listing. And it really concerned me as we're talking a lot about data in the news today and just about privacy and just having all of our information out there, I was really concerned and wanted to know what I could do to protect myself from having this kind of data being available. It is absolutely crazy infuriating how much information about us is a click away on the internet. And we are given no control, no rights in the United States about this so you pop in your name and immediately people will be able depending on uh, what database comes up in the search you'll be able to see all the things you talked about and like when i pull up my name i see all the people i'm related to came up in the search all the places i've lived how old i am all that kind of information instantly popped up and that can be dangerous you know Mm -hmm. if somebody has ill intent towards you somebody's maybe been abusive and you're trying to um, not leave any trail for somebody to be able to do what you did or I just did it while you were describing this it is really upsetting Mm -hmm. so do you know how the trail would be kept cold and you wouldn't have to type in your name and see all that information about yourself? Yeah, I'm not sure. I haven't been able to figure it out. I know I did go in and try to do some recon myself to see if I could watch some YouTube videos about how to remove the listing, but um, it didn't really seem to work out. So That's because the only way to do it is to buy a one-way airline ticket, fly to (laughs) Europe, move there, because Europe has a law called the right to be forgotten. And anybody except a public figure has the right to notify um, a website or notify the bigs, Google, Facebook, those folks, and tell them you want to be forgotten. And they have to delete every last bit of information out there they have on you and about you and i feel very strongly that in the united states that private citizens who are not in the public eye should have that same right Mm -hmm. there is nothing an american can do today to 
clean that trail, clear that trail. And that is wrong. Yes. Uh, you know, you're, you're not making any money from people collecting this information on you. They're making money with you being a series of data points. And that's just wrong. There's no two ways about it. So the action that we need to take as citizens is to expect more and expect better from our politicians. Do you know in the aftermath of the Equifax data breach last year that the government has still done nothing, nothing Mm -hmm. at all about Equifax? Nobody there has been punished. No one has lifted a finger to provide more privacy or protection for our data that the credit bureaus collect. And that's because, you know, we live in an era where the politicians only care about who gives them money. Right. So right now, the the thing is, all we can do is bring a focus and bring attention. And I encourage everyone to do what you did and what I just did and pop in your name and see how much creepy stuff is instantly available to any prying eyes on the internet. So I know you come to me for solutions. Jessica, this is one that is that I can't solve for you or anyone else. This is a case where there needs to be a law. There ought to have already been a law. And the Europeans already figured out what the law should be. The only reason we don't have it here is the lack of political will. Lucas is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Lucas. Hi, Clark. How's it going? Great. Thank you, Lucas. How can I serve you? Well, I just want to start out by uh, thanking you for this public service that you provide to all of us. And I, I want to really let you know that it's helped me, and I'm sure it's helped thousands of other people out there. So I really appreciate what you do. Well, thank you. Mm-hmm. So um, I've been a long-time listener. I'm a college student right now. started listening in high, uh, high school, and my car ended up breaking down this last semester. And so I sold it and was starting to look for a new car, and I knew to, or I wanted to only buy used for obvious reasons, and so I looked around four years old, and I set the price point for myself around 12K to 15K. And after listening to you, reading our online articles and stuff like that, I slowly worked down to 11K, 10K, and then around to the 8K price point, and that's what I ended up paying for my car, and I was just really happy with it. I ended up getting a 24-month uh, loan and uh, financed 5500 by myself, so I only had to pay about uh, two and a half for the rest of it. That's fantastic. What kind of car did you end up narrowing in on and you're driving now? Um, it was a sedan, a Chevy Malibu, if that's okay to say. Of course. Yeah. And I'm curious, how many miles did it have on it that you were able to get it for around 8000 um, it was 85. So it's got plenty of useful mm. life left. You know, the way oh, yeah. cars are manufactured today, they used to be pretty much done around 100,000 miles, and mm. now cars easily make it to a quarter million. Yep. And that's that's what I was reading online. I'm like, when's, when's too much to buy a car? And a lot of people are starting to say, like, 80K is, is almost as good as buying a car at 40K now. And... And it'll keep on going at least to 150. And so I'm like, 
that's all I need in college. I don't need something that's, that has a sunroof and leather seats. And once you kind of start talking yourself down from that, it, it's really easy to see that you're just buying a car and not buying this lifestyle. And, you know, that is the truth, is that we used to, as a society, be much more into just wheels, just transportation. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the things I've heard from car dealers that is absolutely not opinion, it's fact, is that consumers, when they go in to get a vehicle, are the ones that option it up on their yep. own, not the dealers saying, hey, you ought to get this option, that option, and the other, that we that we really are spending money voluntarily that we don't need to. And yep. you're giving the extreme opposite example that yep. you bought a used car at about 22% of what the average new vehicle is in the United States. And you will have years and years of hopefully trouble-free use of this Malibu. So good for you. And taking out the ultra-short loan is fantastic for your wallet. What are your monthly payments on that 24-month loan? Uh, 150. So I originally uh, signed up. So I saw they had an extended warranty, and I knew that those are uh, bad unless through the actual uh, car manufacturer. And so I saw that, and it had a 30-day money-back guarantee. So I signed up for it just to check out the company because it was a third party, and they were very poorly rated. And so I ended up canceling the warranty, and so my payments are actually still at the same locked-in as if I had been paying for the extended warranty. So I'm actually going to end up paying it off a little bit sooner with 150 a month. Well, that is awesome. And... Good job on doing the digging because that's the problem with the third-party warranties. The literature is so impressive. The real-life experience for customers who buy these third-party car warranties is an unmitigated disaster. Good job. Today's Clark Rageous moment involves a complete waste of your money as a consumer or a small business owner. The way power is being sold in so much of the country is so out of date and harmful to the economy in your state and your wallet. In state after state, power is still sold to you as a consumer by a monopoly power company. In some states, that's led to massive unnecessary increases in rates the way power is set. No state worse than the state of Georgia, where the monopoly utility is building two nuclear reactors that are over budget by so much that they will be producing the most expensive power ever built to consumers and businesses in the United States. Why? Because under the traditional monopoly power company model, The more cost overruns a power company has, the more the power company makes in guaranteed profits. The stockholders win, the power company wins, the consumer, the business gets clobbered. What we need to do in the United States of America is we need to follow the states like Texas that have deregulated how power is sold forcing the marketplace into complete and total competition and innovation. And what's happened in the states that have done this 
as the cost of power has gone down, down, down. And to have something we know works better, but we don't use it, the only reason that's going on is because power companies that are monopolists in the states where they operate tend to be the most powerful political organization in the state because they got so much money in ill-gotten gains that have been charged to the customers. We need to fix this, and we need to fix it now in the states that have refused to open up their power markets to competition all across these United States. Glad you're with us here on the Clark Howard Show, where it's all about you and that wallet of yours. I want you to learn ideas from me so you can keep more of what you make and follow me at facebook.com slash Clark Howard. So do you know the average car, vehicle, truck, whatever, sits idle well over 90% of the time? Depending on the study, you believe more like 96% of the time Vehicles are just sitting there unloved, unused. Well, there's a growing opportunity for you to turn that idle time into money. And it is a fast-growing trend around the United States that now, I think it's more than 3 million people participate in this sharing economy where you either use somebody else's vehicle or you put your own into a rental pool, if you will, for someone to be able to use for a few hours, a couple of days, and it is kind of like Airbnb for cars. So there are a number of people who cannot afford an exotic sports car, but have always wanted one. And this is a riskier kind of thing, but they will buy an exotic sports car and end up covering what it costs by renting it out to people who rent them typically for special occasions. Or if you're somebody who's always wanted to drive uh, you know, some fancy car, using one of the sharing services is a way that you could get to do it. This is a win-win for everybody except the auto insurance industry that hates these car shares. The best known and biggest is Turo. T-U-R-O. Turo.com used to use a, a Relay Rides, I think was their original name, and they changed to Turo. And so you put in... Where in your town or wherever, you could be traveling somewhere, you need a vehicle and you put in when you want to get it, when you want to return it. It can be just for hours in a day or for multiple days and you'll see what's available for you to be able to use somebody else's car instead of, uh, as an alternative, renting a car, right? And... Then the other side of this, the opportunity to make money with your vehicle, the opportunity to get a vehicle potentially for a cheaper price or in a more flexible situation. Turo has a, Turo has a smaller competitor called Get Around, 
and they both work similarly. I want to mention the insurance angle. The traditional automobile insurance market has had a lot of trouble adjusting to the sharing economy. That's been a problem for people who drive for Uber and Lyft. It's a problem for people using these services. The services themselves have some level of insurance they provide to you, but your own automobile insurer may despise you for doing this stuff, and you need to know the implications with the insurer that you use right now for auto insurance, how they're going to treat you if you put a vehicle into this kind of share. Bruce is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Bruce. What's going on Hi, with Clark. you? Uh, well, I've got some questions about plug-in hybrids. First of all, you're asking about plug-in hybrids automatically makes you a brilliant human being. <laughs> because they are such a fantastic part of the solution to lowering people's costs of driving a vehicle. It's just great. Yeah, I agree. Especially if your commute is, uh, say, 50 miles round trip and you've got one that gets you know, 40 or 50 miles of uh, electric-only range. Uh, it's awesome. Seems like it. Yeah, and, you know, that is the promise. A lot of people are really confused about the Chevy Volt with the V, V-O-L-T. Yeah, which it's is, one of my favorites. All right, well, it's in its second generation, mm-hmm. and most Volt drivers buy gasoline six times a year, once every mm-hmm. other month. Yeah. So um, do you already have... A plug-in hybrid, or are you noodling it and you have a question about them? Uh, I'm noodling it and I have a question about them uh, that extends to all batteries as well as plug-in hybrid batteries. But um, what I'm wondering, one of the things is uh, over time, for example, with a Chevy Volt um, or any of them, uh, is that uh, electric-only range going to diminish? Is it going to eventually get down to... You know, just a few miles, is that what happens near the end of the battery life? And then how much is it to replace the battery? Wonderful questions. All right, so let me tell you my experience with electric-only vehicles. I have a six-year-old or seven-year-old now, Nissan Leaf, Mm -hmm. and it has lost about 25% of its range over the seven years. Okay. We also have um, a Tesla that has lost zero range in three and a half years. So okay. I, I think part of it is in the design and manufacture of how the battery packs are done, how much it degrades. There is less of an issue with a plug-in hybrid because the technology, the design, is different than electric only in that a vehicle... Typically, a typical plug-in hybrid, for people who aren't aware of it, it's an electric vehicle for so many miles from a full charge, depending on how big a battery it has and how heavy the vehicle is. And they usually go 20 to 55 miles on a single charge, depending on how big the battery pack is. And then after that, uh, in most designs, it just becomes like a traditional hybrid where you continue to have battery assist. With the hybrids, there's been no issue that I'm aware of on any model 
with the battery degrading. And with the architecture of a plug-in hybrid, uh, which is a little bit different than how the, the Volt that I mentioned earlier works, I have read nothing about the batteries degrading by enough even for it to be mentioned. Really? Even over, say, 200,000 miles? Well, you know, I think the plug-in hybrids are new enough that nobody could tell you yet mm-hmm. where they are after 200,000 miles. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's a, that's a good problem to have to run one to over 200,000 miles because at that point, the vehicle's fully depreciated out anyway. Right. Of course, if you're looking at a used vehicle, then it might already have 100,000 miles on it, and you're wondering, you know, how many more miles before this uh, battery is, you know, degraded. And then, what does it cost to replace it? Or, or if you're saying they may go indefinitely, then then I guess it doesn't matter. With the, with the hybrids, nobody's... I read the, uh, the, the electric vehicle blogs. There are several of them. I read them all week every week because i'm so into this and i've never seen that as a problem that's being addressed okay and i'll tell you you know that's why the leafs sell for like nothing as used vehicles the early models of the leaf because of the degrading that i've had with my battery pack it's not unique to me it's been the experience of people who have them from early this decade the first few years so okay. I, I would not fret. I would be uh, so excited about how cheap you're going to be able to run a vehicle. <laughs> you buy it cheap when it has 100,000 miles on it, and you'll run it ultra cheap moving forward, not having to buy fuel. Right. I, I think at this point, I don't think I've found a used plug-in hybrid that was uh, uh, cheap enough for me yet. Uh, but certainly they'll come, you know, within a a few years. There'll be more of them that have a lot of miles on them, and then they'll be in my range. Especially, I'll tell you where you'll find the greatest inventory is in the Northeast and on the West Coast, because that's where the adoption has been so strong for the plug-in hybrids, where in much of the country you really don't see any, but uh, in the Northeast and the Mid-Atlantic and on the West Coast, they're all over the place. And as those things age, they're going to be a great deal to look at buying used. And Hetty is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Hetty. How are you? I'm very well, sir. Thank you so much. Sure. How can I serve you today? Well, I'm calling about my experiences with a couple of online banks. And I'm concerned about a little bit of what I sounds like is a bait-and-switch, almost Ponzi scheme over the last few years. Let me hear. Well, I, I took your advice years ago, and I didn't know about online banks, so I took my cash position, and I put, them, put it in an online bank that you recommended. And over the years, their interest rate just started tumbling and tumbling and tumbling. And then they, well, that's fascinating because, you know, we're at a time that the interest rates that a lot of the online banks are paying, the highest rates since a lot of these online banks were created after the financial scandals of last decade. Exactly. What is, so what is your online sense. bank paying? 
Uh, 1% right now. But One? One? Yep. Fire them. Exactly. Do you know what the best rates are in the country right now with the online banks on savings accounts? No. They're over 2% now. Well, that's why I was calling. I, I saw a couple of other banks that I'm not looking for ridiculously high interest. I'm just looking for a safe, steady place to park this cash that doesn't mess around lowering the interest rate and hoping that you won't notice well okay so let me tell you how this game is played so a lot of banks use the online uh bank savings accounts like a lot of the credit card companies will have these operations and stuff and they do it to get what for them is cheap money versus going to wall street to get money and so when they have all the money they need they use the interest rate raising uh, lowering as a way of saying, yeah, we really like you, but we don't like your money that much right now. And so the rates move up and down based on how much they need for the loans that they make. So when you see in a time that interest rates are rising, that what you're earning at the online bank you have an account is going down, it means that they got more money than they need today. Mm-hmm. So they they hope that you'll do just what we're talking about right now. That you either accept a lower rate and just let your money sit there, or you say, forget you, and I'm out of here. Mm-hmm. So you feeling burned by them lowering the rate, what you should do is be fired up about that and take your money to another place that'll pay you a lot more. And if you go look at, there are a number of lists, but I find the easiest at this point to look is at bankrate.com mm-hmm. and click on the best savings rates, and you'll see the ones that are offering around or above 2%. I saw three that, that keep coming up that seem to get solid reviews. Um, I don't know if I can go ahead and name them. or Sure, go right ahead. I heard good things about Ally, Synchrony, and Goldman Sachs. Yeah, so Goldman Sachs uses Marcus as its brand name for the online savings. Uh, Synchrony or Synchrony, I think it's called Synchrony. Anyway, they're a credit card issuer. To um, They do the credit cards for a lot of retailers, their house cards. And so they boost rates when they need more cash, and they cut rates when they need less. Marcus is um, is very aggressive at paying on savings. And any of those would be just fine to move your money and get as much on it as you possibly can. But one thing is, what we're talking about is 1%, 1.7, 2%. Think about the poor souls out there that still have money sitting in savings accounts with traditional banks like the ones with branches that may be earning close to 0.00% on their money. Dan is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Dan. Hey, Clark. How are you doing today? Great. Thank you, Dan. You're trying to help out your daughter. Tell me about her. So actually, I have my daughter and a sibling listed as authorized users on a credit card uh, to help them build their credit. That's worked very well. However, it occurred to me that uh, maybe that exposes me for some liability. If something was to happen, if they're 
credit uh, report was to be, you know, fraudulently obtained, would that expose me in any way? Is there anything I should do? No. First of all, the odds that anything would happen with one of their credit reports that would really foul up your credit where you've made somebody an authorized uh, user is extremely Mm -hmm. remote. The only circumstance where I've seen that mess up somebody is, and wait till you hear how obscure and weird this would be, is if somebody stole one of your kids' identity and then bankrupted out under the stolen identity, which is a so remote that you're more likely to be hit by a meteor probably. Sure, sure. Okay, so, yeah, I just one I, thing, I had my credit frozen, and I just didn't know if there was anything else I could do. No, and I do want to ask you, uh, the kids that you've given authorized user status to, have you given them the plastic or not given them the plastic? I have not. Okay, so you're doing things by the book, because if right. you give them the plastic, then there's risk created for you. Not giving them the plastic is great. Now, I should also mention to you, not every issuer reports to the credit bureaus on authorized users. And have you looked at either of the kids' credit files to see if it's being reported? And it it is. So I got this idea from you years ago when my daughter was about 15. I actually put her on there. She's now 20, and her credit is phenomenal. She's actually already bought a house. Um, Her credit score is about 785, so it's worked wonderfully in this case. 785? Wow. 785, yeah. (laughs) You know, that's almost perfect. That's really near perfect. So it's worked beautifully making the kids authorized users because you give them a head start, a jump ahead on establishing their own identity and potentially, like your daughter, great credit. You're listening to The Clark Howard Show. I want you to know that I appreciate so much that you've just tuned into our podcast, that you had faith in the information and advice you get. You want more information from us? One of the best ways to get Clark Smart is with our free newsletters, Clark Daily, Clark Deals, and Travel Escape. Sign up now. You'll be able to unsubscribe at any time if you think I'm wasting your time. Go to Clark.com slash newsletters.